Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, my adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Christopher Stapleton. He is an award-winning creative developer and innovative guest experiencing guest experiences that define global brands using the next generation of talent technologies and techniques. Projects include products and revenue and uh, venues developed for brands, are theme parks, education centers, con- uh, conventions, attractions, ride shows, events, health services, food, retails, and he leverages uh, social VR, augmented reality, and mixed reality. I'm very excited to talk to him, and without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Christopher Stapleton. Hey, brother, welcome. Hi, Dylan. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I uh, I recently came across a video of yours on on LinkedIn, and uh, you were talking about uh, social VR, some of the education yeah. pieces of that, and yeah. I really resonated with a lot of the things that you're talking about. How like social VR is like the next epoch of like mankind, where we're going, yeah. what we're evolving into. Oh, and yeah. and these a lot of things that I totally believe and I resonate with and some things I also do and teach about. So um, I really wanted to get you on here uh, to, to yeah. dive deep in the whole things of social VR. So yeah. um, with that being said, I'd love to kind of find social out Social XR. Bit. Social XR. XR, you're right, you're right. It, okay, there's virtual reality, there's augmented reality, there's extended reality. I come from a virtual reality background, even though I've done virtual reality and augmented, augmented reality. But I, I get what you're saying because we're blending the realities together so we'll dive more into that as we go through this whole whole podcast thing so i'd love to learn about what was your journey getting into social xr and why are you such a big proponent for it well let me tell you what i think social xr is because i think a lot of people are just using it as a catch-all phrase so i've been working with virtual reality for 30 years. I've been working with illusion for 40 years. I've been working with mixed reality for 20 years. I was doing the, you know, you know, the, the, the imagine the, what, what, what do they call it now? It was on Star Trek to be the kind of the holodeck. The on strike, a holodeck. So I was doing that for the army 20 years ago. Uh, now it's, now it's popular and we're really now at the tipping point. Um, and of this virtuality and all the things that we say, it's all together. So we have that mixed reality, which is goes from reality to virtual reality. Um, mm. And then if we put virtual and real, it's augmented reality, put real into virtual, it's augmented virtuality. And that's a whole virtuality continuum that we call mixed reality. That is one axis of XR. The other access is the internal, not the, so the external virtuality. The internal is what we call imaginality. It's the magic behind the eyeballs. That's why I do with theme parks and I do with military simulations and medical testing. Um, and so that's really what our mental model is. That is our reality, is what's behind the eyeballs. This external is everyone's getting these sensory perceptions in all senses, all dimensions, all directions, but how do we know we agree? So that third axis is what I call the sociality. And that all is extending reality in three different directions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the total XR where you do not have to choose between real, virtual, or imagined. It is one world and we have control over it all. It's super fascinating. I totally agree that it's, it's, we're, we're a weird thing as humans, 
right? We are both an individual self and we are connected to the whole. We both live in this reality where we can we can bang on it, but we also, we live in the reality of our own imagination. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I always consider, I would consider imagination to be OG virtual reality, right? Because it is the thing that we have and you can, and anybody can connect into it by just using the word imagine, right? Imagine yeah. there's a giant pink elephant sitting right in front of you and you can feel it, but it's almost like it's, um, depending on your level of focus and, and and your ability to crank up the power, you can you can really tap into it to where you you like basketball players, they can go through the the patterns and behaviors of mental models over and over and over again while they're say led up laid up in a hospital bed. They can get better at the shots that they take by going through the mental exercises over and over and again. It's just it's just something that's harder to tap into. It's something that's more no, proactive. No, no, it's not. No, no. We make it hard. It's, it's very simple and it's very easy. Yeah. It's based, our, our brain doesn't work like a computer. It, it, it mm -hmm. works on story. Everything we remember is based yeah. upon a story. And, okay. and, and, and with that story, play is the other aspect of engagement. Um, so story creates the, 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 the pathos, the, the play is the participatory, and the game is the procedural. All those mechanics fit together and, mm. and equals experiential entertainment. And this is what I've been doing with mega theme parks around the world. But once I got to a point of saying, well, those stories are getting a little thin. I mean, there's only so many ways we can go into a simulator and say, oh, this is cool. Oh, no, wait, we're gonna crash. Oh, no, we're saved. Exit to the gift shop. I mean, you know, it's wonderful. And we and we work with some of the robotic arms and simulation. It's so cool to develop and work that 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. but can we transform lives? And so that's where I started the laboratory after the mega theme park. So my journey is 10 years of New York Broadway, feature films, computer graphics, music videos. Then I went to 10 years of mega theme parks around the world. Then I went to 10 years of developing a mixed reality uh, laboratory at the University of Simulation and the University of Florida Institute for Simulation and Training. And then I did 10 years of being a social entrepreneur because I realized that getting into virtual reality so soon and it's taking so long to kind of get into mainstream you know what do you do i mean the th stuff that has never been done or the you know people saying it's the first i mean i've seen it been there yeah. done that maybe with slower uh, less resolution but you know it's there we've been waiting and so while i've been waiting all these terms i've been really researching the human mind the the human experience and then realizing, well, how do we validate that? I mean, I, you can, I go in and I can have a $110 million budget to do a theme park attraction. Um, and how do they know my decisions are right? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, besides the force of personality, which is what usually works. <laughs> and you're only, you're only as good as your last project and then you're dead. Yeah. So, you know, you better get, you deliver it. Yeah. Uh, credibility, persuasiveness, and credibility are the things that, that usually right. work together. And and there's a there's a whole we could talk into the whole how do people buy and how do people convert their mindsets right. and that's a whole chasm thing. But the other thing is really important. What you touched on, which I totally love, and one of the things I deeply resonate. One of my main missions and focuses is how do you use virtual reality as a transformational mechanism, and and how do you make it something that is actually fun and engaging? Because most education is boring. And people don't want to do it or play with it or touch it. But in, in the right way, if you can if you can take transformation and play and combine that together to where people are are having transformation as the byproduct, 
That is really the power of the system. That's that way people that use Beat Saber lose a whole bunch of weight. It's the greatest fitness game ever. And now everyone's trying to like reverse engineer what that looks like because they understand when you're playing, the byproduct should be the transformation. If you make the transformation the focus, people don't want to do that. We inherently want to tell stories. We inherently want to play. We inherently want to have games. We inherently want to do it with our friends, right? Yeah. And so that's, and so I love where you're going with this. And, 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 and I agree with you. I, I, I disagree with you with, I think it is harder to do the mental model by yourself in an environment. Oh, yes. I, and, oh, oh, yeah. oh, once you say by yourself, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Okay. So we're on the same page. Social, if you bring social people in the room, I think there's no better way to identity shift yourself than to, to, than to cognitively outsource your identity and willpower to the power of the group and the social presence. Right. So I want to get this. The third axis. That's the third axis, the sociality. Yeah. And yeah. that stands the internal and external, yeah. where, where yeah. virtuality is on the external, imaginality is on the internal, sociality is that conversation between the two. And mm. yeah, so if I said to you, go, tell me a story. Yeah, yeah. You go, All right. Okay, so so one of the, the transformational part is that I yeah. went into, I, one, of, one of my colleagues had a stroke and got aphasia. Do you know what aphasia is? Mm -mm. Okay, no. this is this is actually a facial awareness week uh, month, so this is good. That's the last day of the month. Um, the issue is, aphasia is a loss of language due to stroke or head injury. I mean, so you know, people, you know, older people, so, you know, soldiers, particularly, you know, more African Americans have strokes because of the the food deserts and have more aphasia. And aphasia with a loss of language. Think about it. That I have a it's a loss of language, not of imagination or intelligence, and I'm trapped in my mind. I can't speak to you. I I want to say something, but what comes out is the be 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 and I don't know really the difference. And so from hearing, speaking, reading, writing numbers, any of those symbols, imagine that doesn't work, or it's scrambled. And so that's mm -hmm. what my colleague was, and it's just like, oh my God, a fallen colleague. I mean, how can I do? What can I do? Yeah. with what I do to help him or help everyone with aphasia. So another friend of mine was a leading trainer of aphasia pathologists. And we started going into these therapy um, sessions. And I have what I call real world laboratories, meaning that we embed ourselves into where the problem is. We don't mm. wait for the problem to, to come us. We don't create technology looking for a problem. We dive into the problem and it's just to soak that up because yeah. that is where the solution is. So we have these things that we call innovation play tanks versus think tanks. Um, you can think and talk all you want. Talk is cheap, we can afford it, that's great, but let's do it, let's find out, let's learn and have that conversation. And Absolutely. when you have a conversation, that person who can't work with words, what do you do? Mm. So this is what we discovered. And so we realized people with aphasia don't have the disability. It's us who depend upon words too much because communication is a wide river of, of expression, of, of, of gesture, of voice and tone and, and all these other things. And so this is where we created everything I know about theme parks, video games, stories, Broadway. I put it into a little box we call Story Trove. We put it in the middle of the table and we say, find the story. And because of the way it was designed, and we did a lot of iterative kind of experimentation, uh, a, a wonderful colleague named Dana Mott is, is who I helped create it with, is, is that they went in there, no rules, mm -hmm. um, no wrong answer, um, we just find the story. And, 
it, it makes it so curious. They dive in and they want their other people are thinking because what with the imagination. This is what I do with theme parks. So most of what you theme park, you never saw, you imagined. Mm -hmm. And you mm. pulled that in. You pulled your memories, your, your movies, your, your dreams, your everything else. You pulled that in, and that's where I do my painting. I don't do it on the screen. I don't do it on the, on the thumb twitchers. Um, I do it in their imagination. And that is the, the, the amazing thing that we've been able to do. And when we take a video of this, of these people who have lost the use of language, working with other people around the table with these story troves, you turn the sound off, you don't know who has a face or not. But without that, without that sociality, which works all by itself, I'm trying to figure out how I did it. So we're looking at all new technologies to use perceptual computing and machine learning and all these other mm -hmm. things to really kind of extract and, and find measure and meaning to the, the measures of what we're doing and how and why. And that's what got me out of theme parks and into research is I wanted to know how because I saw it working so well and intuitively and naturally. And, and that's the sociality that releases it. And this is what has happened to media in the mm. gig 1.0 is that social media is so damn antisocial. Why? Because the algorithms are based upon economic kind of, you know, attention and, and, and our attention. And it's better to, to be, um, anti-social to bring up the numbers than social. So now that even though we're more connected in human in, in humanity than ever before, we have the biggest epidemic of isolation. And this is what we realized was the problem. It wasn't aphasia. We can always overcome our obstacles. What we need is better ways for sociality or conversational mm -hmm. competency or mm -hmm. social resilience. All these things is what we look at and we realize our natural way of doing things before COVID really was not really that social. <laughs> we're really bad. We're really bad at reading people. We're really bad at expressing ourselves. We're really bad at, 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 at continuing that conversation. And so that's what I'm working on. And COVID was, as FDR says, never let a good crisis go to waste. We've been able to kind of understand. Now the world understands what I've been researching for the last five years and working with these obscure conditions that is opening up new things. And what we've been able to do is transfer this to exploring life on Mars. Because you know what the only psychological obstacle it is for putting humans on Mars? Uh, lack of a good Starbucks. Close isolation <laughs> and human connect and human connection because you know transmission of communication, no real time yeah. interaction, and, and this is for extended amount of times that we've never yeah. been able to measure, and and it is we cannot send people to the Mars whatever mm -hmm. you know um, anyone can do with rocketry, um, we can't send it to them unless we know that we can handle this isolation. But how can we deal with isolation when it's a growing epidemic on earth and everybody that is isolated is invisible. And we've been, how have we been isolated through, through prejudice, through disability, through hospitalization, through, through, you know, deployment, um, you know, or any of these things that rise on suicidality in, in rural areas and, and with military and kids going to college. It is a serious issue that is all invisible. So what I'm doing mm -hmm. is bringing all that into what I call conversational story creation mm -hmm. into the smallest package, working with the smallest communities and developing programs that suddenly we're gonna transform that and, and we're gonna get to a whole nother space where humanity is above economy when we deal with 
innovation of technology. Ooh, I love that. I love humanity above economy. I think it's fantastic. And one thing is challenging as humans, we think we're good at the social, we think we're better than we really are at understanding other people and connecting with oh, other people. And so, and so we have, and so we get like, we get like, oh, we, oh, I know what you're thinking. But then yeah. what happens is you are right. You do know a percentage of the time, but there is a giant percentage of the time that you don't know and that you actually have this gap. And, and much like going to the gym, social has a lag effect, right? So if you don't connect with people, it doesn't really bother you in that moment, but then it compounds over time. And then yeah. finally, you're so neck deep, much like if the COVID is a good example of the situation, is that you, you, you're like, oh, this is great. But then it compounds and then you get stuck into these 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 mental model neural pathway patterns that lock you into a behavior of, of living a life of quiet desperation, not knowing how to connect with people, yeah. but also yeah. being the victim of that story and, and, and having an inability to actually being that, what I call the hero of your own story and reaching out and connecting with others to be able to kind of, to have that sense of connection, camaraderie and, and, and right. elevation. And I and I love the the, the I love the uh, the story trope, which is a really interesting concept you have of using this collaborative play model to find the story, because uh, story and play don't always like you know in the world of video games. Uh, story, yes, they do. Like, yes, they do. They're, they're, they do. Gamers have have torn it apart. Hollywood directors have, have been, been ignoring it. You know, toy designers, I mean, for toy designer, it's all play. For game, it's all yeah. game. And in, in, in Hollywood, yeah. it's all story. The issue is it's story playing game, the interplay of those. And, and read, well, you gotta read my publication. So one of the things I'm gonna mm -hmm. be working on right now is yeah. going into doing social XR sessions that can mm -hmm. understand all these concepts we've, we've experimented, we've researched, we've published on, and no one reads papers anymore. So I'm gonna start doing these little sessions on social XR with some of yeah. my colleagues who are neuroscientists and writers and, and illustrators and, 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 all, and, and, and pathologists. We're, we've, we've been discussing this for a long time and developing these things. Um, and so they don't, the gamer don't recognize the story, but the story has already been told by the time they design the game with the marketing, mm -hmm. with the movie that it's based upon, all those things have already been embedded. They're just exploiting it. And so, but mm -hmm. it is there, we need to look at it. And, and movie directors don't understand the importance of the theater as well as the movie, because the movie, it's not just the movie, the theater itself, has as much effect on that being being important. And as we start going back to theater, we start to understand, well, why is it, why can't I just stay home and watch it on Netflix? There's a reason. And, and the issue is that we don't understand that well enough because our system is just, you know, they come and they pay and they get enjoy. But the, the, the thing is about human experience. We have to look mm -hmm. at it in its totality. All mm -hmm. senses, all directions, all dimensions, mm -hmm. and all realities as one world. And so how a theater works is that it only uses your focal perception, not your peripheral or your tangential perception, and it's mm -hmm. only in two dimensions. And, mm -hmm. and so it, movie, the magic of movie isn't the projection of light, it's the projection of your imagination through a portal. And, and mm -hmm. so what, how that happens is that you deprive your other senses in the periphery, and all the senses you're not using, like olfactory and haptics, and it, and, and, and it pacifies those senses with soft seats, acoustical space, even the, even the carbonated sugar water and the, the polysaturated fat popcorn, the carbohydrates are, are pacifying it so that you can focus your
your your your vision hearing on that one little box which is like looking mm -hmm. life but when you deprive your senses you heighten the senses that do work and so that's a heightened mm -hmm. sense but yeah. then also you're being shoved in a dark room with strangers which is increases your emotional vulnerability and so that's where you start to kind of get to that position and, and you just can't get up and you know without yeah. some embarrassment and so you know all that context now this is you know we, we've explored through that there's different ways to get to that point but when you start going spritzing and asking people to interact you're destroying the cinematic experience which is dependent upon depriving certain senses and when you add them back they don't work and so you have to design it with those senses and those dimensions. You're, you're right on those. There's a couple of things on that. So, so one of the things being is this, is that um, you're, 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 you're bringing them into a new reality by, by your, and, and by telling the story, you are, you are a pass, you are a, a passenger on the journey. It is a non-interactive, but you always imagine yourself as generally being the, the hero of the story or whoever that person is. There's some sort of relatability. That's why they want to hook you in the very beginning, all that background noise, all that stuff, it, it amplifies your emotions. And, and that's what it is. It's an, a, the, the people around you is an emotional amplifier. Yes, when you absolutely. laugh and everyone else laughs and you cry, every, yeah, socially, right? And, and that's the thing but they're they're a background which are which are it's the amplification of the context of the story now you can you can go deeper into the immersion i, I don't know if you've seen this um i was talking to this crazy scientist guy um and his name who builds uh, deprivation tanks um you know have you ever been into it do you know what a deprivation chamber is yeah yeah, yeah okay they're, so you're inside they're the rage in the 80s yeah, so they, they got them. They're they're coming back up. But he was he's this crazy mad scientist dude, and he was actually building out uh, these high end custom ones. And one of the things he started to do is he started to put do projection screens on the top of them, where you could actually take in learning situations. Because he goes, when you remove all of those variables, your skin, your touch, your everything, you are a hundred percent on the immersion of the learning. And so that literally, much like a movie theater is just dark. But instead, yeah. you're literally floating in that black bath, and you're taking it all in. So it's another level. So, um, but then you, you you remove the people. The deprivation of senses heightens the senses you do use, and in when you deprive mm -hmm. all your senses on the external, you tap into yeah. your internal psychological senses, and that's that's where the dream space comes from. And so mm -hmm. that's you know all that is working as it always has for thousands and thousands of years, okay? It's it's old, it's natural, it's intuitive to us. We just need to know how to tap into it. But we also have, when you talk about the immersion and, and engagement, um, there's a, the, the engagement continuum that I work with. And, and this is usually up till now, there's been a special technology for each one of these nodes. Because first you have passive, which all you do is absorb. Okay, so you have to look at what the media is doing and what the audience is doing. So on that end of the spectrum, I'm pass, you know, I, I have the media is passive, I am just absorbing. The next part is engaging, where I can start to, you know, not just absorb, I start to think and feel. And so that's where murder mystery, and you're trying to figure out what's gonna happen next. Okay, you're still in a the movie theater. Then you start to become active, like a like a like a ride that you described, but you're still you're not making, you know, you're going where they're taking you. And then the next level is is from active to reactive. That's like a video game where I, I start to make choices, not just mm -hmm. To, to, to feel it and then you have interactivity which is not necessarily games it's when i can create and contribute that's the difference between reactivity and interactivity that's an rpg game and once i start contributing each one of these nodes are, are you know exponentially more complex harder mm -hmm. to do 
and more intuitive to do. And you, then you have at the far end experiential. And the issue is that you, we used to always have a technology for each one of those nodes. Now we have the continuum as a palette that we can work as creators and be able to make it whatever we want it to or whatever they want it to. Because your first rule of interactivity is choose your level of interactivity. Do I want to just yeah. sit down and be thrown around? Do I want to engage and start to work? When I start to have that agency in those worlds, there's no limits. But yeah. we are so in a small keyhole of, of immersive media when we look at what's out there now. But it's going to explode. What's really interesting about that, and what I what what's coming to my mind is like Mihai, I mean checks Mihai, the whole flow paradigm of looking at like when something's too intense, people get anxious and it's too it's too disengaging, you become bored, right? And you and you tone out. But it also depends on it's it's you, right? Your level of comfortability with the with the the technology you're using, right? And your level of like personal energy. Because you could be deadbeat tired and you don't want to you don't want to create a, a wonderful world at 12 at night. What you want to do is go on social media and numb out to everything, right? Because that's like that's that level of energy that you have for it. But I could I could see that going up the things from super passive story, just sit down and take it and, and scroll through things like tiny bits ver versus all the way to the top of which is like complete autonomy, user generated content. Here's the tools, go build a world. Right there, but but yeah. that takes more energy and also takes more expertise. One of the things that why Beat Saber, and I'm gonna bring it back, is a, is an amazing flow generator. It's super easy to understand. You get in it. It's passive in terms of you like things are coming at you, so you're just reacting to the situation, and then you can choose to scale up over time. And so yeah. it's very easy to understand, difficult to master, and you can progress up that flow. And what you're telling me, what I'm thinking of is from from past super passive stories to complete autonomy, user-generated, my proactive content creation is, is, XR. is, is X, XR, content, XR. <laughs> I'm gonna work on that. I do a lot of VR. I also do XR, but my terminology well, is VR. X, X, XR is adding all those other disruptive innovations like machine mm -hmm. learning and, and augmented mm -hmm. intelligence and, and mm -hmm. you know internet of things and, and all these other things that it, it's leveraging a huge amount of other stuff plus the, the brain research that we're doing. And what's happening is that we're using perceptual computing to yeah. read you as a person very accurately. Yeah. Of, you know, in the sense of measure, but it has no meaning. Uh, we have to get other specialists in to understand it. So it's the analytics and the analogics working together so that human intelligence and machine intelligence come together to, and so that it's more than the sum of the parts. And this is what we've been, we've been fighting AI and in, in human intelligence, you know, what they call artificial intelligence, which is not much more than artificial stupidity, by the way, it's, it's not there yet, you know, and we shouldn't be trying to replicate humans with machines and we can't we have to stop making humans act like machines. I mean, we yes. got the equation wrong. Machine needs to be the machine and humans need to be humans. And, and this is the analogy I have. It's climbing a ladder for innovation. Okay, mm -hmm. so imagine you're gonna be climbing a ladder. Um, and the issue is that technology is one leg and humanity is the other leg. When you climb that ladder, you, the technology you advance will help advance humanity. And the humanity's advancement will help advance the technology next step. And it's like climbing a ladder, but we tend to kind of climb a ladder with one foot, you know, with the, with the tech, with the, just the technology and not the humanity. But if you look back into the history of humanity, you realize there is that exchange. And that's what's mm -hmm. happening with also science fiction and, and real you know, science and working with, and when you're talking about this, these experience in the entertainment world, now let's talk a look at what if your life depended upon it. Mm. 
Yeah. That consequence at a high risk is, I mean, in theme park, you know, putting your seatbelt, you're safer than being on a grocery store parking lot. The issue is when I want to get you out into, you know, into a plane or into an emergency response or into a battlefield and you'd have to do a tourniquet in the middle of, you know, crossfire, you got to do the right thing immediately. And, and what, what is that? And virtual reality is, is providing a lot of false positives. If you don't have the mixed reality where you have the, the reinforcement of not only the physical and real, but also the social interaction, because you have to have what you have live simulations in the military terms, live simulation, you have the virtual simulation, but you also have what they call the constructive simulation, which is the mental model. So you have to know what's around me. I have to know what's around the corner that I don't see. I have to understand the entire platoon. I have to understand the whole thing. And, and, and everything has to, is a competition of attention in that. But I, they, they need to know what I need to know, when I need to know it, as I need to know it. Sounds like the internet. But you know, this is with life and death consequences. And so this is where we need to understand the importance advancement right now is with humanity and with that user interface. And this is where we're going to have to go to that next level of, and in fact, I don't even call it an interface. With mm -hmm. social XR, we're talking about what I call a digital interspace. And this digital is- Digital interspace? Yeah, that's, that's a new engagement paradigm. Uh -huh. So it's, it's physical, it's digital, but we get to fidget with it because our hands, <laughs> our extensions are our brains. And, then, and, 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 and I'm not immersed in the virtual reality. The virtual reality has to come to me and in between us so that it's not the interface, like you suck in face with the monitor, but it's the interspace between people that the sociality can come into. So digital well, so interspace. Yeah. So it's a piece of paper. People think on paper. People think on whiteboards. People, you yeah. think with your hands, you think you're, you, you are processing it all and, and making those connections. And one of the things that you talked about, and I totally agree with you, is we have it backwards and the military kind of reflipped it again. But people think that we're thinking machines that feel, but we're really feeling machines that think. If you look the way our brain was created, we had that the, the limbic system, the, pre, the, the prefrontal cortex was built on top of that to primarily deal with our social interactions as as, as primates right. and saying this is this right. is the way we need to interact in the system because we want to find out right. how do I fit in this whole monkey hierarchy and how do I survive yeah. in this area right and so you're you're right but at the same time military they want to shut off humanity they generally oh. want to say hey you know it, it's it's you know th there's ugly things about military I, but, no, there, there, but there's there's beautiful things too but there, if if you're going to if you're going to go to battle with another one the whole point is dehumanizing the the enemy the enemy is not a human and so you shut that off and you have them respond as a, an automaton like you just respond in the situations i'm not saying it we all need to, we we are all large tribes we we go to war it's a natural part of us we are both bonobo and we're both chimpanzees right we they're they're two different creatures and they're going at it. I'm not saying it's it's a terrible thing, but it's it's a way to get a job done. And the thing is, you got to learn to reconnect with yourself. A lot of people that get out of military have to then find themselves again and reconnect with themselves to to find out I, I'm a feeling. I'm actually a feeling person. I'm actually a connection. Feelings right. are okay. Right. And so I'm not not dissing the military on this one, but it's an important well, thing I'll, to I'll note. Is, is, is that yeah. it's made a lot of advancements in the last you know thirty years. 40 mm -hmm. years, I've been involved in looking at that 
combination. And so, you know, a lot of, we invest so much in military. What I've been doing is my covert operation was to transfer as much military funding to humanities as possible because they weren't funding humanities, <laughs> right? So, knowledge is transferable. So it's all legal. It's all the up and up, you know, but the issue is if I can, you know, do it, you know, to save a life, I can also save a life in real life. Same way we're doing the space program. The stuff I'm using with Asia is going to help, you know, Deep space astronauts when we have them. Mm -hmm. Oh, and so this is what's been really an inch in this aspect because our casual casual casualties have gone down, and and there's more money spent on on infrastructure of just getting you know feeding us and putting us into the people. You know there there are lines, there are ethics, and we have to look at that as we you know just because we can invent it doesn't mean we should. Um, the issue is that we really have a complex problem here that they are starting to bite off and chew because they're getting themselves into such dangerous situations, which there's no reason why we can't put that to emergency response. And that's one of the things that's, that's really amazing is in that emergency response. So, so the issue is that, that we, we segregated, we siloed all different applications, all these disciplines. And in this future, what we have to do, particularly in this next you know, what I call the virtual native, which is just now mm. being born. Um, and this is not generation X, it's not a generation thing. It's like the, you have the um, digital native, right? Now you have the virtual native. They grew up wow. with virtual reality. And I have a video online that's called, you know, how to think like a virtual native. Um, I had, it's all speculative naturally, but I'm, a, I'm an immigrant both digitally and virtually, but you know, I'm, I'm still farther along than most of the people coming up. The issue yeah. is that we're gonna be able to look at all these different problems in so much more complex but intuitive ways because what we've been having is is we're, we're, we've been committed with a piece of paper or with the digital screen and it's and it's just like looking at life through a keyhole and mm -hmm. and we haven't been really focusing on advancing our humanity because if we don't we won't be able to get to that next stage you know we're, we the, the singularity thing is a misnomer because they're trying to retro-engineer humanity, we need to really kind of push humanity beyond and into more of its potential. 100% agree. And, and that, But that's a natural progression. You look at Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs, right? The reason why the military and other people have such a large budget is because if we're not safe and secure, we can't work on self-actualization, right? That's a, that thing at the top. So there's, there's a reason why there's a trickle-down yeah. effect because they have the large budget. It, it generally goes, technology goes military, enterprise consumer right and then you know and then democratization generally speaking with the technologies and so it, it, it's it, it has its benefits it, it's, it, it's, it's switching it's switching right now so you know beginning with the internet we're, we're flipping it so it's not industry driven it's consumer driven mm -hmm. and the more and more mechanisms that come in there it is in the process of of realigning backwards to that so so the thing is that you know 20 years ago when when mm -hmm. after 9-11 you know mm -hmm. we had to kind of get that technology and the way that the military got their technology readiness level was so slow and laborious they realized mm -hmm. that you know you know, the soldiers getting frustrated and putting on, getting their flip phones out or, you know, then their smartphones. And then, you know, it's just like, well, how can we do that? And so what happens is that they're, they, they've been, we've been investing a lot in small business innovation research, which is fantastic, which is a percentage of all research funding from NSF to NIH to DOD um, mm -hmm. and DOED. And, and this is takes some small businesses um, because most all radical innovation is done by small business and all 
sustaining innovation is done by big businesses. Now, it's more expensive to do a radical innovation, but but the in, in the big businesses that can do it don't. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they're small markets and, mm -hmm. and it's return on investment, but they don't know how to take that small market and make it that big. And and yeah. and, and then we have this stupid concept called the 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 Gartner's hype curve, um, which is which is if you reverse logic that you basically say, oh, well, we have to hype it up and then wait until these businesses die and until we do it somewhere. Yeah. But the issue is that is just rationalization for investors to keep on waiting. It has no basis on reality. It's, you know, it's hype. It's a hype. Yeah. The issue is that we need to get that humanity more prepared to accept our technology. And that's where mm -hmm. we work with innovation play tanks is that we really mm -hmm. have to have this conversation with the user and the user is going to start to have that constant state of, of innovation informing with the entrepreneurs, the small, because those are the ones with risk and, mm -hmm. and, and getting it so fast that, you know, the military will be following the consumer and entrepreneur. Well, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's, um, much like everything, it's a, it's an ecosystem. Generally speaking, yeah. the big guys create a platform, and once they create a platform and they enable the 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 smaller people with tools and abilities and things like that, so they can play on their platform. Oculus created or Facebook created Oculus, floated them a a brick of cash, and now they made the Oculus Store, which is a highly successful place. That place had a high wall garden because they don't want the ET effect of people trying something that's terrible, getting right. sick, and then the entire industry getting taken. So what happened was SideQuest came out as a solution to that and goes, anybody can throw anything on here. You could be one random dude at your house and like, and like no. Pakistan, and you can throw that on there and it's, and it's out the door. But you need to have a larger company that basically made the platform, Oculus and the hardware, and then you had another company make another platform on top of that called SideQuest, and then the, the indie developers are doing that. And the same thing is true with Steam and Valve. You look at Steam and Valve, again, they have the Wild Wild West mild where almost anything can go on the Steam store. Right. But So you need, you, need a, you need a sandbox, and really the value, the real value and inflection point is when you take these esoteric skill sets and these technologies and tools, and you democratize them and you make them available to the general public. And when you do that, that's when true innovation happens. I have a, I have a buddy who, um, who has, he do, he does every hype terminology you could think of. He has XR, he does social VR, AR, uh, biofeedback designer drugs. He yeah. uses virtual reality and he partners with big drug companies where anybody can put on the headset and they can work on designing molecules and drugs and VR and XR and all those other realities. And then whatever gets made. Yeah, it gets it, well, it gets it gets tracked on the it gets hashed on the on the chain on Ethereum, yes. and then and then that, I now have a piece of ownership, and then the big company goes, oh, that's a great job. Look at that. But you look at that floated by a big company, developed by a, a stronger company, and then enable these tools inside the small. That is that is how it, it, I I think mm, I don't know if it's flipping, but it's more it's now finding this 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 synergistic relationship. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I see it. Um, you're right. Yes, and. Uh We've been studying as an innovation broker, as an innovation broker, I've been all these levels in, in application. So yeah. I've taken the fine arts degree and taking it to more places around the world than, than any other fine arts degree or, or any PhD. The issue mm -hmm. is uh, working from medical to entertainment, to education, to military, to, to whatever, also across disciplines from science, you know, not only the STEMs, but the art, humanities, 
you know, media. Um, and, and so we will look at it in, in this broader sense that will, what was I going to get to? Um, Thing flipping on its head. Oh yeah, right. So one of, as an innovation broker, what I what I usually do in, in, in my real world laboratories is I embed myself not only where the problem is, but also within these these larger companies that don't know how to. We want to we want to innovate like the small company. You know how can we do that? Because I've seen so many failures and so many hundreds of millions of dollars invested into brilliant technology that flopped because they made poor decisions on on the huge level. And they had the money to bury their mistakes and not learn from their mistakes. And I, I wonder how innovation happens. It's so damn haphazard. But that's one of the things I wanted to go into in my research is what is innovation? And I looked at innovation throughout the history of media, media revolutions. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it, it is pretty, we don't learn from our, our, our successes. And, and, and one of the things that I've been able to do is take a look at the technology readiness level that NASA and the Army systematically approaches innovation as a cycle and a constant cycle and there's i have this matrix which is a three by three matrix that is able to take the 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 ideation the invention and innovation um and then bring it down to you know the hardware the, the software and then the the ecosystem and 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 there is a certain pathway and if you take a look at steve jobs he was a master at, at you know orchestrating those different cells and getting them in the right order. But you have to innovate on those three levels of what's the product, mm. what's the product experience, and, and how do you make money? And, and each of those have to be the next generation of that. So we're not all thinking in those terms because we separated our disciplines. And so we really have to think ahead. If we change the technology, yeah. we're going to change the, the, the content, and we're going to change the economic model. And he, and, and he was smart enough to think through that, first of all, and come up with a solution that is then self-generating that brought the user in because you're right. The user is the innovator. It is not yeah. Steve Jobs was not an innovator. It's the user. You're 100 right. It's it's uh, it's a Udemodium machine. It's a hub and spoke design. So you basically go off and you d develop your own individual skill sets, and then you come together and you and you and then you and then you collectively build that thing up. I've I've ran um, virtual reality uh, XR hackathons for like USC, MIT, USC, like UCI, a bunch of them brands, and and I love it because you have all these interdisciplinary skills, and then they come together, you stir up that pot, and then innovation comes out of it because you 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 go off, right. you 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 kind of have your own skill sets you've been thinking, but you come together and you co-create this reality. And one of the things that Steve Jobs crushed it with um, on that innovation things is the is the validation with the customer. He was so yeah. customer focused um, yeah. beyond even to the point of. In the, in the in the in the past, being abusive to his employees uh, because he put his a uh, customer obsession above all else, and then right. he right. learned over time and Pixar, and you know, got into meditation, and all that jazz, and got better at it as we as we grow. But I, I I love the 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 you you innovate as an individual, and then you validate with the consumer or the or the customer because yeah. that is the what you need. Otherwise, you end up being in this weird kind of like cave. Where you, you yeah. you're making something, but you're but be that yeah. sub story of like whatever yeah. reason why you're not connected to the person, you're not providing value. You're just basically spinning in circles. You know, so. do a favor. Yeah, when you run these hackathons. Can you add a certain element? Because I do not think that they yes. do innovation at all. I don't think they do innovation Please. at all. They, they do invention. Because every time I go there and I ask the people doing their crazy stuff and doing the wonderful stuff, they're, 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 it's wonderful and and. And many times very exploitive, but that's beside the point. But the issue is, I right. asked this one question: Oh, we've created something that would help nurses. We, we created something that would help, you know, so and so. We, uh, help. Well, how yeah. many of those did you talk to? Oh, mm -hmm. we haven't yet. 
I said, how can you innovate if you haven't talked to them? If you haven't talked to the person having the problem and bring it in. So if you, yeah. uh, the favor is every hackathon you do, make sure there's that element coming into that to really understand and relate with the problem because that's where the innovators are. I oh, mean, I totally, man, we're on the same page. Like I just ran last week or two weeks before that, I ran a transformational VR challenge, which I was teaching people how to get up and running and build transformational social VR applications that benefit humanity. That was the things that I was teaching. And one of the steps I had in the process, um, and this was my first one I haven't done in person. I was trying the whole online thing. No, second one. But point being is, I said, all right, guys, you, you figured out this. This is what you got. Now you got to go talk to your customer. You got to go out and find your early player. You've got to go message them and find and actually have a conversation to find out is this something that they want. And it's funny because some people they 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 went into it and then and you can tell that there's uh, uh, sometimes there's a barrier to the information. They might get feedback that what they want is not desirable, but they just completely they're like this weird cognitive dissonance from them and the other person on the feedback, and they don't actually have that connection point. So I completely agree with you, but getting anti-social developers to go be social and connect with people is like the is the antithesis of why they got into computers in the first time. But I, I agree it is super negative. And there's that third level of now you have mm. to create the next generation economic system with that, mm. that product mm. cycle, okay? So bring that, not, not necessarily businessman, but entrepreneur mm -hmm. into that discussion so that they can pretty rapidly say, you know, if you this or that, it would go into that. And this is the way it can scale because, yeah. you know, it's a, it's an invention looking for a problem. Um, and so you need that product, that product experience and the, and the product uh, marketplace. And, and that's where and that's why I call what I do innovation play tanks. They aren't hackathons because it's <laughs> the hacks are hacks. But the, yeah. the the play tank is that we start that sociality between these mm -hmm. things, people who are normally s siloed. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, well, you need the computer scientist to understand what the cognitive scientist is talking about, which is what the nurse is trying to deal with. And so each of these, it's, it's, it's bringing the civic, academic, and commercial together. And that's where innovation happens. But they all have different reward systems, mm -hmm. all have time, different time scales. And that's what I've been trying to do as a social entrepreneur is really try to bring these elements together. And so I've yeah. given up on the campus of the academic <laughs> and commercial and, and civic. And, I, and I'm, I'm starting this one approach where I'm gonna create my own little innovation play tank, if you will. And I'm gonna invite people in and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the whole cycle. And, and, and I need to, to, innovation to happen, it has to be international and you have mm -hmm. to own the user, customer. You know, mm -hmm. if you're not collecting the money, you get stuck into, the you know the, the the power play of money and and this is the other thing is capital okay you know i call myself a creative venture catalyst not a capitalist a catalyst and so this is this opens up the whole gambit because we should look at capital in three ways you have the financial capital which is the easiest and the last thing you should talk about what it starts with is the creative capital that's not only in, in the in the intellectual property, but it's in the intellectual capability that you have in your team. But you also have the social capital, and that is that relationship with that user. And so the, the only reason Oculus was bought out for a billion dollars is because they created a brand. That all technology existed before. And, 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 and Palmer just kind of talked to everybody who was already doing it and put it together and hyped it up within the gamers that, that were the customer and, and made that linchpin and then created the brand. And, and the thing is that Facebook could have done all that technology. They wanted that brand because that is There's our Cedar customer.
there's a couple of things. Yes, you're right. It was the brand. And that is one of the pieces of the elements, which is the, which is the creative, the brand, the, 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 the micro successes that they had from, from Oculus and the Kickstarter campaign. More, all of that's important. And they had John Carmack. John Carmack turned 2D into 3D, turned 3D into VR, and now he's going to go birth the AI revolution in his own so, house as like some, some sort right. of gentleman savant. So, and and, and th these types, those types of people who can really, you know, really have what I call, pardon my language, shit detectors, is that they understand <laughs> that point that it won't work, buddy. Yeah. So, so Oculus went and say, okay, what is that field, range of field, that, the vision that we have that will make us feel present? You know, it, it's, you know, it's about 60 degrees. I mean, so, you know, that is important. What is it that I'm going to have to do to, to kind of go through that? And so there are points in our perceptual kind of experience that we need and we need to feed to and get that right combination, pull those points out so that so, so what they, they were able to do with the Oculus is, is cover the, some of those points of, you know, what, what's important that, that sweet spot of resolution, of, of frame rate, of, of field of view yeah. and all these things. So. You're, you're, you're talking about like almost like a reality lubricant or some sort of presence lubricant that basically allows you to slip into another reality. Meditating for several hours, uh, possibly on psychedelics, there's a lot of lubricant going on there. You'll slip right into that reality. If you're doing Cyber it inside of cyberdelics, cyberdelics too, that's a that's an option. There are actually are companies. Um, my friend, my friend Skip, um, uh, Skip Rizzo, and I know him. I work with him on a couple of projects. Yeah. Well, um, Skip. I will. I will. He uh, he's actually working with a new company uh, he's a part of now that's doing uh, psychedelic therapy and virtual reality. And, and, and they're testing that all stuff out right now to see how does that work out together for um, clinical use cases and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but, and, but and, yeah, in these areas <laughs> of exposure of exposure therapy and it, it are really important um, mm -hmm. in the early, early thing. But I think that we really need to stretch our palette to, to look at more applications that are trying, you know, more things besides it's either distraction therapy or exposure therapy. Um, and that's been going on for some time and yeah. doing approaching. Skip has, has made VR, you know, in PTSD, the dominant, you know, solution, which is amazing. That's it's beyond the tipping point. Um, and so, but he, he, he's, he's dug into it deeply. We have to kind of go into these other applications and go in as deeply well, as Skip. Preserved. Let's talk about that. What I'd love to talk about you with is, okay, um, I completely agree, humanity above economy, right? And, and, the, and the, the only way to do that is to inspire people that there is more opportunity in serving humanity than there is in the destruction of it and extracting resources. Yeah. So what that's, what, that, yeah. that's where you need to bring in not just the financial capital and the creative capital, but the mm -hmm. social capital. And those three yes. capitals together, you start with the creative capital, that will attract the social capital. And we have those two, this financial capital will come by. Oh, you have a yeah. unicorn, right? Attraction is huge. Like Oculus no longer takes pitch decks or any of the information. They want social approval. So you're not going to get in with like a snazzy pitch deck. You have to go in, you, you put it inside the store, you get a whole bunch of social approval and that basically creates safety for them. It's all about for right. the capital, right. any capital person, it's all about how do I create safety for that investor, that person or whatever. And the way that you do that is you, you have, you have the team, you have the technology, you have the social capital to, to progress. My, my things that I've been looking at right now is what are the ways that we can leverage XR technology, specifically social XR technology, to to uh, to help humanity just elevate our conscious? And there's a there's a bunch of different areas you can go into, but I'd love to talk to you about what ones do you think are ripe for innovation using the technologies that we have right now. Um, 
So what I'm doing is looking at social cohesion or isolation. Mm. I mean, it's a mm. range. You have isolation on this side, social cohesion on this side. Yeah. Where do you fit on that? How can you draw that? How can you measure escalation and de-escalation? It's what I call the mm. social Fitbit, if you will. Um, and, and we need that, that feedback so that that human intelligence and machine intelligence can have that conversation for us to advance farther. So sociality, it is, it is once we start reversing the epidemic of isolation, which we, we now have an idea that we need to do, um, that is going to be huge in every aspect. And that's the, the true sign of innovation. It has application in every market, every vertical market that really sees that. And so going to sales, we're going to training, whether you're going to, you know, fight wars or, or, or teaching in an urban classroom all the things that I worked on simulations for, um, that it's that sociality that breaks down and that's the weak point. And, and that is the most potential. Yeah. And, and again, we've done that technology step. We need to take that step on the ladder with humanity to see how that advances. And, and, and the issue is that un until we start to see media as all senses, yeah. all directions, all dimensions and all realities as one world, we're not gonna get to that next step on. Mm -hmm. And you're right, we're using tech. So the best technologies ever are the ones that connect us, the airplane, the cell phone, the computer, the internet, all these things connect us in, in certain ways, sometimes with information, some other times with emotions, but those are the best technologies that actually help help connect us. And if we can connect better, we can heal ourselves. If we can heal ourselves, well, we can heal the planet. Yeah. You jump in, you jump into this, some of these so conclusions. Um, the right. issue is the connection didn't do it. Uh, so the successful human connection did. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the technology now becomes invisible. Yeah. So the phone, I'm not looking and imagining the transmission. All that became you know, magic. You know, like Arthur C. Clarke is that, you know, significantly advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. We haven't mm -hmm. been able to kind of get that technology. And, and that becomes invisible once we, are t we, we fully engage the reality imaginality and, and sociality, those are the three points. And these are mm -hmm. very physiological, cognitive, mm -hmm. you know, creative things that we do. And so one of the things that I've been doing with a great, a dear colleague of mine, Rick Stone, who just came out with a book called Story Intelligence, which is a really yeah. one of the big things, is that we try to do, say, let's do your book launch in, in social XR and play around with it. You know, we, we made an attempt, we learned a lot, but the issue is, you know, we, we came up with this whole issue is, this linear market of how an author finds his audience has been so convoluted with the ecosystem that, you know, first of all, for anyone to listen to the author, my mother was 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 an author. And at one point, you know, she went to her editor and, she, and they said, I want to write another book. She said, well, what's your social media, you know, account? You know, it's like, what's that? I'm not, you know, it's an email. It's like, you know, it's like, forget it. She's out, you know, even though yeah. she has several books, unless you got your social media up. And, and what happens there is that how does an author engage their audience? And then you not only have the publisher making these decisions based upon your social media, then you have the, the Amazon coming in there and power playing their kind of who gets what book and what exposures and what reviews. And in these, in these corporate systems start to kind of control and dominate and, and that free expression isn't there. So, so, you know, that's always going to get in the way. And how do we kind of, Feed the dragon at the gates, this, this, this money monster to understand it is to your benefit that these other social capital and creative capital are work for you. So it's, it's like I work with a lot of real estate developers in, in developing theme parks and they make all the wrong choices. And so you, it's, it's just so mediocre based upon, you know, what it could have been. 
And, mm -hmm. and the issue is that they don't understand their return on investment isn't the big shiny thing that they create. It's the memories that they make. And the issue yes. is the small, it's a, the small and, moment makes the biggest memory. And, well, and creativity, yeah. So on that note, uh, a couple things real quick. One, uh, uh, Story Economy, great book, read it. We, 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 if we had another half an hour, Not we story could economy. Not story, economy. Story, story, story intelligence. Intelligence. Your intelligence. I have read seven it. Seven, oh, you have? Excellent. I have read it. I promise you I've read it. I've gone through it. It's a, it's a great, it's a great book. And it, and it talks about it talks about the different types of cues, right? You'd have the IQ, the EQ, and the SQ, the story intelligence. Right. Yeah, and, so, that's, and, and that's a side because it's the seven powers of story that, that we're hardwired for. Mm -hmm. And the issue is that he has a book, but mm -hmm. how do you get that knowledge into people's hands? And it's all it's all stopped up to the economic system of the, of the story economy. Um, yeah. And so the issue is that we need to better do the story economy so the author can have a better relationship with the audience and build that. And that's one of the things that we're going to start working on is really understand how can we bring that that story in and and we're trying to bring the audience into participating the author he's an author trying to kind of engage the audience and that's one of the big areas that that because it's a content that, that it's content that that drives adoption for innovation mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if you don't so you have to find that next generation content um and we're far away from that. Yeah. And if you if you look at the the what we're what we're creating here and what you're talking about is one thing is that there's the the value that you get from the memory. But what is the the memory? The what what's what's the power of the memory? It's it's the it's the story plus the emotional engagement from the from the thing that creates the retention, right? So a, a situation where you almost died because you didn't put on your seatbelt and something awful, whatever the situation is, the more intense the emotion from the memory, the longer the retention, the bigger impact, and the more we use right. that as an anchor anchor point for decision makings in the future. And so if you're looking at transformative effects, right, if, if we can digitize these things and actually create these kind of these feedback loops and, and what I call being the dungeon dungeon master in the game of life by taking yeah. this stuff and integrating it into you, then you're going to be able to see how do you pull those levers so that you can actually make those, those you can create those intentional memories and right. those intentional emotions. Because ultimately where we're trying to go with all of this and what you're talking about is the highest level emotion of humanity, which is unity. Unity above all else. Feeling like we one are the, connected. One, one of things. the powers of story intelligence too is unity. It's, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and so and so D&D &D is a good example of the interplay of story playing game. So so yeah. catch up on some of the videos or, or, or papers that done on the interplay mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. But the, the story answers the question, why should I care? Play answers the question, what do I do? Games is how do I make it work or how do I win or, you know, and it's those things that the authors today can't just be, it's not just words anymore. It is, it, I have to answer when I'm thinking of my audience in my what if story, what if, imagine if you will, I need to understand well, how I'm going to make it so that they, they want to care, they want to jump in, and then they want to get involved and participate. And, and so what you're talking is, and, and the interplay is not something I invented, it's I've observed and, and processed and synthesized and understand our industry has separated it. It's like our academic colleges have separated the disciplines. Our entertainment industry has separated story playing game. And so they don't recognize each other anymore. Mm -hmm. And they, and, and this, and until they do, um, they're not because they're rewarded to, you know, do what they do to get you addicted on death scrolls or, or to twitching or to whatever it's, it's, there's a whole nother, the experience that you're talking about, this 
area is is we have to break down those walls not only between realities but between these industries and and um characteristics 100 I 100% agree. I mean, and that's the that's the I think one of the noble missions of people that innovate is to understand how to break down those barriers. How do you unify? Yeah. How to create that sense of 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 camaraderie and and unity and, and and bring those bring those things together and and erase those divides because it's it's a it's a powerful force to do. It's just it's just the challenge of the designer and the innovator to actually create the game for the people to play. So here's um, the easy part. Here's the easy part. Yeah. We're already hardwired for that. It's the industry yeah. has separated it and you bring it together. They'll want it. You know, it's yeah. just, and, and the <laughs> issue is that, you know, don't bother trying to erase something that people aren't going to get rid of. This is the, this, these are, you know, intergenerational kind of, you know, problems that they have to deal with themselves. We need to get to that experience and, and capture that audience and, and, and have them tell us what it is. And, and that's one of the things that why I went into looking at human experience modeling. And that is whenever I, after a big theme park, everyone loves it. Wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever had. Oh, good. What do you want next? I don't know. Same thing. Bigger, better. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like wants to wants constant surprise and novelty, but they, they don't want to give up the familiar and, the, and, and building and you have to meet their expectations. So that's the, yeah. the, the dilemma that we're in is how do you give them what they want when they don't know what they want and what they want is what they don't know it's you know it's it's well, you, you, it's, it's it, you, have to, you have to you have to super glue together novelty and and nostalgia nostalgia plus novelty yeah, yeah. equals something that people resonate with it's enough new to build new enough familiar to feel familiar so i, I completely agree um uh so uh we passed our time. Uh, we passed our time um is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how they can get a hold of you and what you do yeah, um, I'm working on my next stage is really looking at this social cohesion, the sociality that is work with the imaginality and and um, virtuality to extend reality. And the social XR is an area that I'm going into. So keep in line with my website on semiosis.com. That hasn't been updated quite yet because we've been years into development behind the scenes, but now we're ready to kind of step forward. We're gonna to start to you know, get a, a play space, an innovation play tank into some social XR experiences to really start to engage this and move this along. And, and, and we're working with people from aphasia to ask to, to you know, looking at um, these new storytellings on how we history to, to face our, our present and reimagine the future um, because there's a lot of lost story, forgotten dreams that we need to capture and help with education. And at learning, not education, learning is entertainment. And learning will be bigger than entertainment in the next 10 years. So, so we have to, that's the nut we're cracking. Love it. Mic drop on that one. Uh, Christopher, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being here for your time. Um, I love all the work that you do. Um, I'm sure we're going to catch up later, um, but this has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much, Chris, and have a, uh, have a beautiful okay. day. And I'd love to step in there on some of your classes one day. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you some links. We'll, 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 uh, we'll connect more after this, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Excellent. Ciao. Right, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others.
Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.